The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I'm Thank God we've got that extra that extra open. Can you boost me a little bit? Do you think that you could repeat the question? And I listen more attentively. There must have been something in all of that nothing that wasn't quite so easy to see. And I must have missed something when you were just talking to me. Look at that, we're live. How about that? It's a Saturday morning miracle. Yeah, the miracle is, the good, is a good word for it. Hi, Tom Duggan here on the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's up Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Well, I didn't even get podcast out without my, without my voice cracking. It is very early. Yeah, where is everybody today? It's, a, it's, it's very early on a Saturday morning. We had to b- uh, bounce the show from Thursday this week. I had something going on. Um, but we decided we were going to try and do a Saturday morning. This show initially was a Saturday morning show. Uh, we'd start at noon, but I'd have to get up at like some ungodly hour, like 10.30 to get there for noon. And, uh, and so I'm, th- this is actually kind of like where we started. We started a Saturday show initially, and, uh, and then we, we, we became daily. We went to Boston for a little while, then we ended up in Lowell, and uh, now we found our new permanent home here at Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Um, we have got a great show for you today. Uh, Kiana sends her uh, regards, but uh, 9 a.m. is not really all that great for her either. So uh, I have two great guests here in the studio. Uh, I have Carrie Wyland from House of Mercy, Dave Yasenka. Did I say that right? Wow, got it right on the first one from Isaiah 58. And as those of you who follow the Valley Patriot newspaper know, um, I, I, I have been following and writing about the homeless issue, especially in Lawrence. Uh, for probably the last three or four years, we've uh, tried to do what we can to, to educate people as to what's going on with the homeless, the increasing problem of addiction and how addiction and homelessness go together. And so what I thought for this morning was, since it's a Saturday morning and it's still really, really, really early in the morning, Ed. I don't know. How did you get here this early, by the way? I was up by 3.30. You were up by 3.30? Like, when did you go to bed? At 2 yesterday afternoon? <laughs> uh, earlier than you. Uh, apparently so, yes. I'm still trying to wake up. Uh, I would give anything for a cup of coffee right now. If there's anybody near Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, maybe we'll get lucky. So, to my left, Carrie Clark Weiland. Is it, should I use Clark? Because... You don't have to. I mean, that's a Facebook thing, so people can oh, find you. Oh, all right. Okay. And, and Dave, why don't you uh, each introduce yourself uh, to to people and um, tell people what it is that you do. You can go first. Okay, I'll start. I'm uh, David Jusanka, as uh, just announced, and I was a pastor in Salem for 31 years, uh, serving the Lutheran Church uh, over in North Salem, and we were noticing over those years that um, people were struggling with um, housing issues. So I became more interested in that, even finding some of our parishioners who became um, not not homeless like you nor- notice more in, in Lawrence, Lowell, uh, Manchester, 
areas like that, uh, but a hidden homelessness. And so by the time I, I neared um, being able to retire from parish ministry, uh, we developed an uh, offshoot of the ministry called Isaiah 58 Ministry based on uh, the words of the prophet Isaiah who talks about uh, feeding, clothing, and sheltering those in need. And then we spun it off into our own uh, not-for-profit. And for the last, uh, we're in our fifth year now as the non-for-profit. And so I retired from the parish ministry and started uh, Isaiah 58, New Hampshire. And like you were saying about bringing the awareness uh, to people, your, your listeners and readers, uh, one of the things that uh, we've been trying to do is bring the awareness of the um, hidden homelessness, the couch surfing, uh, the kids on um, free and reduced lunches, uh, people like that. One of the things we're finding right now is single women over 50 are our highest spike in really? the highest that we have, but the highest spike in homelessness or housing insecurity because their incomes are either stable or going down and the cost of living for them is, is going up. That's shocking that that's, that that's the demographic that you have that, that's, that seems to be going up the most right now. Do you, do you have like any idea why? <clears throat> I think just because of the economy, the the rents in area in this area don't allow a single woman to be able to afford um, even a one bedroom apartment. They're up around eleven hundred dollars now. Wow! So for you, this started as a as a as a religious calling. You were a pastor. You were in a church. You noticed that there was a need, and you decided to go out and help. Yeah, it was. Kind of a, a uh, epiphany moment, if you will, using religious terms, that just about every uh, Ash Wednesday, we would have the reading from Isaiah, but it never really clicked with uh, what we were doing as a church until we had one of our own parishioners, who I had actually married years ago, come in on a uh, Sunday morning about 7 o'clock in the morning, didn't recognize him at all, and he came in. Uh, as a homeless person, and it made us realize that um, number one, we need to take care of our own. If we talk about baptism being coming into the family, uh, that they're family members. So we, as a church, have a responsibility, and then that just grew to you know who is our neighbor. Well, um, Carrie, I met you through House of Mercy. Um, you know, one, I don't think most people know House of Mercy on Bay State Road in Lawrence. Um, it, it, it is a nonprofit, right? Yes. But uh, what most people don't don't know is that House of Mercy doesn't operate on government grants or anything else. You guys are sustained by uh, money out of your pocket, Roger Farah's pocket, and donations, right? Correct. So talk a little bit about a little bit about what House of Mercy does, and then maybe we can talk about how you guys interact. Sure. I should start by mentioning too that I am a founding board member of Isaiah Fifty Eight, so okay. I did start that with David. Uh, and the way I got involved with House of Mercy was here in Salem. We were looking to buy a building to put a day center together with resources for homeless folks here in Rockingham County. And in the course of trying to purchase that building, I met Roger. Uh, and we got talking, and he said, what are you going to do with this building? And I described what I wanted to do, and he kind of looked at me sideways and went, you're kidding, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> so um, I really liked that initiative that he had going on already that was underway. Um, 
the building here didn't work out for a number of reasons. And when that happened, I kind of said to him, you know, I really like what you're doing. Let me help you out down there. So that's kind of how I got involved with House of Mercy. Um, and House of Mercy is a really amazing place. So um, very spiritual. So one of the things that's offered there that isn't necessarily offered at a lot of the other either shelters or day centers is two church services a day uh, and the ability for the homeless guests and even members of the community, other guests that are in need coming in and they can actually sit with people and talk. Um, the church services, you know, they, they're in English and Spanish. Um, Mostly Spanish though. Yeah, but they do Because I've been to a few of them. It's a little, it's a little difficult to follow sometimes. Yeah, they do translate. Um, but you know, they, they really cater those services to kind of what's going on. Um, you know, verses from the Bible, I don't know the Bible that well, admittedly, but there are a lot of verses from the Bible that can be very, very relevant to what's going on with the people there. Uh, but it's not only about the Bible and about God. It's definitely a large part of House of Mercy, but it's a safe, warm place where people can come in for two meals a day. So breakfast and lunch. Um, we have little kind of consultation rooms uh, we do have like different counselors and stuff that come in so they can receive one-on-one -on -one counseling services in there. Uh, we do everything from resume assistance, job placement. Um, we have a new thing we're going to be launching where people can get their GEDs um, through us. Um, we offer detox services. So one of the things that I do every morning before I go to work is I go in there for about an hour and a half, sit with guests that are in need of you know addiction help, uh, find them beds. We provide them transportation. We offer assistance with follow-on services as far as trying to get them into CSS, TSS, long-term placement. The thing we offer is hope, yeah. right? So a lot of the people that you talk to are very desperate. And I actually do want to hit on something important. Before I really got involved in any of this, I always thought that most homeless were addicts. And actually what I've learned firsthand is that's not necessarily true. Addiction is definitely a big part of homelessness, especially in the Lawrence um, geography, but... Well, that's where the drugs are. Exactly. And a lot of people kind of are transplants, if you will. They came there for drugs and they stay. That's true. Um, but so many people either are suffering from mental illness or they're actually families. We have families come in. It's absolutely heartbreaking when it happens. But, you know, the parent lost a job. And it's very expensive, actually, to be homeless. I was talking with someone that I've been working with, and the way he described it to me made perfect sense. So if you or I go out and buy a gallon of milk, it's, I don't know, four bucks, but they can't carry around a gallon of milk with them all the time. So they have to buy the 16 ounce milks and that's $1.99. Right. So everything, if you look at the difference in economy and, and let's talk about here in Salem, families become homeless. They're not just going to go sleep on a street necessarily. They're going to get a hotel room. And if you look at like, let's say they spend their check on a hotel room, they're never ever going to get caught up to the point where right. they can provide first and security and get back on their feet. Right. So, um, you know, very different places, what Isaiah 58 does and what House of Mercy does. But House of Mercy um, and Lawrence were very varied. So we started just supporting the homeless population. But as you know, as you saw yesterday, we um, have really evolved over the last year. We just had our one-year anniversary, um, January. So that was great. Thank you for inviting me to that, Oh, of course. Thank you for coming. Um, I keep going looking for like a future wife, but yeah. people look at me, they go, who's that old white guy standing in the back? <laughs> we don't need him. Um, you never know. Um, but, you know, with the gas explosions that happened, we opened the food pantry in the back. Um, we've done so many different things to the community. We continue to grow and evolve. We're going to definitely continue to do that. Um, we're all about supporting the people. And, you know, what I would say is we, we always need more volunteers. Um, there's something to be said about actually sitting down and spending time 
with a homeless person. Like mm-hmm. I never saw myself doing it in life. If you had asked me five, 10 years ago, I'd have, what? <laughs> but um, it's really rewarding and it really makes a big difference in people's lives. Like that someone would take the time to care mm-hmm. and sit and talk with them. And you can actually really change a person. I learned that from Michael Gorman from TMF, the movement family. Mm-hmm. Great uh, the first time I met him, he, he kept, he kept instilling on, not me, but like the people that he was talking to at the mm-hmm. bus station about spending a few minutes and sitting down and talking with these people. Mm-hmm. So when I would go out, like I was out chasing police calls anyway for the newspaper and people would, people would say, hey, if I give you some blankets, can you, can you help that guy that you drove by four times? And mm-hmm. so eventually I started doing that. Um, and then I ran into Mike Gorman and I was listening to him and I said, you know, maybe, maybe talking, talking to people is, is really the way to help them out. So I started doing that. When I'd go and I'd give out a blanket or one of Deb Carberry's care packages from Someone Cares, um, and I would talk to Ralph, and I would talk to Coop, and I, I'd learn their names, and all of a sudden, they're not just some guy with a sign that you're driving by every day. Mm-hmm. It's someone that you know, and you actually kind of know their backstory, and you can, you can kind of gauge... If, if you're a homeless outreach person, if you like to help the homeless, the best way is to get to know them, right? Because you know which one you never give money to. Actually, you should never give any of the money. Yeah, but, you, money. But, but you know, like, you know, which ones you need to legitimately give food to or, you know, which ones really just kind of need some warm clothes or some, some direction. Yeah, there's a lot of variables. I mean, every person has a backstory. No one was little and said, I really hope I grow up to be homeless. I mean, no one did. And uh, there was a picture that, Last year when we were preparing all the documentation for that housing request, there was a picture that I had found, and it was a young boy. And I forget the exact caption, but I think it said something to the effect of, um, help this homeless person here before he becomes this homeless person here. And it was an older man, you know, not shaven, sleeping in a corner. And it just really reminds you that there's a lot of homeless children. Yeah. Um, and that, that, you know, it's all hard to see, but that really hurts the most because it's like, you know, that's such a complex social thing when there's homeless children. It's like you have so much to fix, you know. So if someone's homeless and whether they're sleeping at the Daybreak Homeless Shelter in Lawrence or maybe they're sleeping on the streets or in somebody's car, mm-hmm. um, at some point during the morning, like 8, 9 o'clock, you guys open? 9 o'clock. Time, 9 o'clock. Uh, they can make their way to Bay State Road in Lawrence uh, off of Water Street, and they can have a shower, and they can talk to somebody if they have counseling needs. Uh, you guys also provide clothing for them. Yes. They let them do their laundry, right? Because one of the biggest problems with homeless people is you're in the same clothes every day, and after a while, you start to stink, right? We do our best with that. We can't always allow them to do it because we have to wash our own towels and everything like that. So it all depends on volume. If they're looking for that type of service, they should definitely come early because they may be like waiting the whole day to get the laundry right. done. But yeah, we right. do our best to support that effort. Now, the other thing is that uh, I noticed, and this is just from interacting with, with you um, and, and, and doing some work on this, is that there's a lot of people in Lawrence aren't from Lawrence, right? That's true. And a lot of them are from New Hampshire, believe it or not, those watching. Um, you have Isaiah 58 in New Hampshire. So you try to merge the, 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 the two, Isaiah 58 and House of Mercy, because you're back and forth. You're on the board and you're helping House of Mercy. And so if someone is from Salem, New Hampshire, and they end up at House of Mercy, there's a way to bring them back up here to New Hampshire, put them back in the local community, and help them with Isaiah 58, right? Theoretically, that's true. Um, I don't know that we've actually encountered that specific circumstance that was Salem specifically. Um, but, you know, in terms of I do a lot of work on both. Um, we have the donation center here in Salem. And, you know, we we do definitely support people in both ways as much as we can. Um, 
Yeah, I would say that theoretically that could happen. Yeah, I haven't really encountered anyone that was specifically from Salem wanting to get back into Salem. I mean, it's so close. Right, right. But you know, I mean, Salem doesn't have resources like what Lawrence has. Not, I'm not saying by any means Lawrence has a lot of resources. No, Lawrence has very few resources. <laughs> Especially if you look at you know, if your you're homeless, don't come to Lawrence. <laughs> but what I am saying though is that, and David will you know talk more about this too. But if you find yourself homeless in Salem, what do you do? Right. You leave Salem, basically, or you try to sustain as much as you can by couch surfing, sleeping in your car at Walmart, um, staying at one of these hotels or motels that you can pay each night, but that adds up quickly. Yeah. So in terms of Isaiah 58, most of the population that we work with, they work. And that's that's a really sad thing, because that's a matter of these people are working as hard as they can, and they still can't make ends meet. Right. Um, you know, in Lawrence, it's, again, typically speaking, a very different demographic, um, very different things, but you know, at the same time, a lot of the requirement is very similar. These people get very desperate. They don't have hope. And that's really one of the biggest things that I try to provide is hope. One of the things that I've noticed from studying this issue now, probably not as long as you guys have been, have been living it, is that, and, my, and I can say that my sister is, is, is a, a perfect example of this. She went through rehab after rehab after rehab. It wasn't until she found a faith-based rehab that it actually worked. And I, I talk to a lot of people who uh, are on the streets who kind of shy away from that a little bit. So having the religious component, it's, it's a double-edged sword because, it, A, it works. We know that it works, and it works better than the non-faith-based. On the other hand, you have a lot of people who they don't want to get preached at. Mm -hmm. And so they either leave when you guys start doing religious services, mm -hmm. which means they're not getting the other services, yep. or they just don't come. How do you deal with that? There are different ways to deal with that, but one of the ways that I deal with it, because if you look at the timing of the church services, I typically leave about a half hour after they start because I have to get to work. Right. Right. So one of the things that I do is there is about a half hour um, session there, if you will, that I just grab them and take them either outside or I take them to the back and we still sit down and talk. Okay. Um, the other thing I've joked about this a hundred times, I said to my husband before I go, you know, I should have started giving my, my cell number out to homeless drug addicts a long time ago. This is amazing. And he looks at me, he's like, are you okay? <laughs> What's going on here? Even I don't do that. <laughs> no, but well, so the folks that I'm putting in treatment, I, I never had that follow-on communication with them. And now I do. So when people want treatment, they feel like they leave and that's the end of it. And you got to remember, people have burned bridges with family. They are embarrassed. They hate themselves right now. They're at the worst moment of their life. They don't want to call their friends. Their grandparents are going to look at them and go, when's the next time he's going to mess up? You know, I mean, it's a pattern and it literally drives them down to the ground. Like it may be that one time they really want to do it. I'm sure they always want to do it. Nobody wants to be where they're at. Right. But, but it's a problem. It's an addiction. What people have told me is, you know, I don't feel like that with you. Like you look at me and all you do is say, you can do this. We can do this. Let me help you. Let's figure it out. And then for a while that worked in terms of getting people there. And it, it doesn't have to be the spiritual thing. I mean, the religious thing, it is a spiritual thing when you believe in someone and when you mm -hmm. give them that ability to step forward. But is that why it makes it easier for the faith-based um, recovery centers to work better than the non, because it allows the addict to believe in something bigger and higher than themselves? It might be. I mean, they don't have a lot left to believe in at that point. So maybe it gives them something to, I mean, it could be a number of reasons, but you know, what I've seen is it worked to get people there before, to give them kind of that that belief, if you will, from a stranger that, that had no reason, you know, to hate them or to make them feel terrible. So what I started doing a, a couple months ago, maybe four or five months ago, was actually follow-on communications with them from when they go to treatment. And they most of them follow through with me through all the steps. 
And now I, I actually help send the paperwork, make sure they're psych biosocials, their referrals. I work with their counselors, make sure that everything actually gets sent to the next program. The system has a lot of issues. There's a lot of holes in the system. You know, you might have somebody that completes the seven-day detox. They really, really want to go to the next program. There's limited beds. And until you really get to know how these systems worked, I had no idea before, and now I do. You know, nine times out of ten, you call that next program and say, did you receive the referral for X, Y, Z? And they go, no, we didn't get it. It wasn't on the facts. Ugh. Epic failure. And if someone's not able to make that phone call and make that correlation that, you know, this guy's not even on the list, it's not happening. You know, I, I, I ran into you yesterday in yeah. Health Mercy. You <laughs> yes, were on the phone did. yelling at somebody going, don't you dare get out of rehab. <laughs> don't you dare. And I'll send, yes, I'll send you a pack of cigarettes, but you got to stay there. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, why is she on the phone doing a one? Like, you run this yeah. House of Mercy thing and Isaiah and all this other stuff. And you're on the phone doing like one-on-one counseling, trying to convince this one guy to stay in, in uh, into detox. Yeah. Um, but be, but because you do that, there are fewer people on the streets of Lawrence breaking into cars, sleeping in cars, mm-hmm. breaking into homes, stealing things, uh, and using drugs. Obviously, buying drugs. Um, Pastor, is it okay to call you Pastor? You sure, still Pastor. Uh, what do you think about the the faith base? This is something that I've been thinking about since it happened with my sister. My sister went through, I think, maybe four or five before she found one, and it was faith based Teen Challenge. She found, um, and now I think she works with Teen Challenge. She actually works there, um, and she's still sober. And I think it's been at least a year, year and a half. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think that that those that aren't giving them the religious component, the spiritual component, maybe religion is the wrong word, but the spiritual component. Why do you think that's more successful? Yeah, I'm not really um, know of what the real statistics are on that, but anecdotally, that seems to to be the to be the case. Now, we at our, Isaiah are completely a uh, secular nonprofit. We have a name that relates to religion, but we're a secular nonprofit. We set it up that way so that there wouldn't be. Um, there wouldn't be people that would not want to come because of thinking there was some. We do not have a religious um, service as part of anything we do. I go all around to the churches and talk about Isaiah uh, and get churches to buy into what we're we're trying to do. Um, I think one of the things that no matter whether it's the most conservative church or the most liberal church, um, statistics show that when um, people in need come, they seem to get help apart from the theology. Um, so there's something in, you know, I think in sort of the DNA of what all the different religious groups talk about. We don't always live it out the way we should, um, but we talk about not just being concerned about oneself, that, you know, selfishness is, is not a good thing. Um, and so I think that's in, ingrained in people. It's a shame that today when so many young people, I think, are really um, into what religion used to be about, um, the churches aren't attracting a lot of the young people anymore. And so where does that foundation come from? You know, why should I be concerned about my neighbor rather than just about myself? Right. Uh, so I think there's that I'm multitasking that because we, we, we were served coffee, so <laughs> Thank you. I apologize for that. Um, yeah, so you're saying that, 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 that that's the foundation. I think, yeah, I think that, that's, that's part of it. Um, and what, what I think Carrie was saying, what we try and do is to not necessarily point someone to a higher power, even though a lot of those type of organizations have helped 
people get beyond themselves, but to say there's another person like you, another human being who cares about you. And some of the people may have never had that with their parents. Their parents were either into their own issues so much or um, working too much. It doesn't have to be an addict. It can be a, a workaholic. Um, the person doesn't feel valued by another human being. And so the more we can, we can do that, I think the more we can help someone, and especially when someone has a personality like Carrie does, and, and that nothing is... is yeah, there's too, nobody like Carrie. <laughs> that's true. I, I mean, I've run into a lot of people doing this, and I've found you know, maybe a handful of people that really care. She's one of them, but I've never met anybody like Carrie. Yeah, and has the ability to, to put those feelings into practice. There are a lot of kind of bleeding heart liberals. Just pull your mic up a little bit. A lot of um, bleeding heart liberals. Yeah, we don't like them, and especially on this show. <laughs> and they can't, uh, the, their heart might be in the right place, but they can't deliver. Right. Um, people like Carrie are able to, to deliver. One of the things when we set up our, our board was we looked for people like Carrie. We didn't want it to be full of social workers, full of religious people, full, but to get the business type, people who who once they were shown that we have a, a housing crisis and a homeless problem, they said, we can do something about it. They had power to be able to go to their friends and say, you know, we're having our charity benefit. You can give $10,000. And this is all his fault, because I, I tried to decline that invite to join the board pretty, pretty aggressively. So... One of the things that I'm interested in, and I know that when I started telling people that you guys were coming on today, um, some of the feedback that I got was, talk about the difference between servicing the homeless in Massachusetts versus New Hampshire, because we're right on the line, right? So Isaiah's in, in New Hampshire, House of Mercy's in Lawrence. I know you guys work well together, but the laws are very different. The way they, states handle it are very different. The requirements to get into programs are very different. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Yeah, one of, the, one of the reasons we even started Isaiah in our area is we felt, um, not just myself, other clergy, other social workers, that there really was this donut hole. Uh, we do not have a shelter in the area. Anyone in Salem, Western Rockingham is what we cover. Um, if they are actually homeless and are looking for a shelter, they either have to go across the border and... You know, the president could maybe look at what keeps people from crossing our borders um, and create that and instead of building a big wall. Right. Um, because for some reason, that border, especially from people from New Hampshire going to Lawrence, a shelter in Lawrence, is they think that's a death sentence to them. And, and it very well could be. It, 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 it could be. But, I mean, the, the, the people that we've worked at at some of the shelters uh, are doing amazing work. Right. And, and if we could get our people to get stabilized in something like that, right. come back, they would be in, in, in better shape. But right now, in New Hampshire, you have to either go to Nashua, Manchester, or Portsmouth. So what do you do? You pull your people out of this, whatever support they have mm -hmm. if you put them into uh, something like that. Um, so we're working to work together with a number of the different agencies to not duplicate what they're doing, but to do something different uh, to be able to help. Um, but we, we really need some kind of facility in western Rockingham County that we could put someone in for the night rather than spending $100, $90 in a motel every night for that person. Why do you think there is 
no shelter in the Salem area, like other than going to Lawrence, because the, Lawrence has one sh- one shelter. It's daybreak. It's fifty five pe- fifty five beds there, capacity every night. Lazarus House does take in some families, but it's very limited. Um, I see. I've counted from doing homeless outreach at least two hundred people on the streets of Lawrence every night. And a lot of them are from New Hampshire. Why is it that, that New Hampshire, Salem, New Hampshire, Wyndham, New Hampshire, hasn't been able to get their act together and put together some kind of a shelter for the homeless, who, of, of people who are from New Hampshire? I think there was a false belief that the negative influence comes from across the border into New Hampshire instead of realizing that it's their own folks. It's actually the other way around, That right? they need yeah. to take care of right. and others are going back you know, kind of going the other way across the border because there are some um, some services that are there. Um, the the other part was we are set up on such a town government um, that each town doesn't talk to each other or coordinate many services with each other. We do it a little bit on the county level, but nothing like other states do it. It's it's the town, and no town wants to say. You know, we have this many homeless people or this many people that are are insecure. So it was a stick in your head in the sand yeah. uh, for a long time. See, that infuriates me because I, I think of the guy uh, or the woman that you just, when we, was, when we started, you said that the highest uptick is women in their 50s, right? I think about the woman or the guy who has owned uh, maybe a, a $300,000 home, paid thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in taxes over their lifetime, has contributed to the community, has paid sales taxes or whatever other taxes you have up here. And then suddenly they find themselves in a position where they have no place to go and the community has nothing for them. Like it's okay. Thanks for all that money, all those years. Now get the hell out. Um, and and to me, I live in North Andover. I'm constantly talking to Phil DeColligero on the board of selectmen. With we have a youth center, we have a senior center. Why don't we have a homeless center? Like why is that not just part of the fabric of every community? It, 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 I can't. I still can't get an answer. Other than the answer that you gave me, and that's just not in my backyard. People don't. Yeah, I pe- think people don't want homeless people walking through their neighborhoods. But do you do you want them breaking into your home? I guess is the alternative. Yeah, and I and I think that's really really changing. And we've had people from the state actually compliment Isaiah in saying, you know, you're not where you are as far as building the houses. We're trying to build one affordable or create one affordable housing unit per year minimum in the Western Rockingham area. So we started out with a mobile home that we placed in an owner-owned mobile home park, put a family that came from a sort of a quasi-shelter organization, Family Promise, um, into into that. Um, and then each year we've added um, not a new mobile home or one that we've owned, but um, worked with landlords to allow us to basically lease from the landlord and then we manage uh, the uh, the apartment that's there. So but, I mean that but, goes back but, to what, oh, go but the 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 um, the comment that we had from some of our state legislatures that are looking down and seeing what we're doing in Western Rockingham County and said it, the biggest thing you've done is brought this awareness that each town now says um, we need to look at that and so we're able to go to the town Salem Hampstead a uh, number of the other towns now and we are part of their budget a small part but they're saying because they're saying if i give five thousand dollars to isaiah they're doing fifteen thousand dollars worth of work right we we're a complete volunteer organization we have one um, three-quarter time paid employee who was a tanf father temporary assistance to needy families that we were able to train 
and he's our he's our caseworker now, um, and that's the kind of thing that we're that we're working uh, on doing. Try and do that, like you were saying with Carrie, do that one on one with people, right. but look at the broader picture. One of the things that that the passage from Isaiah talks about is doing justice, and so a lot of churches, a lot of good um, uh, nonprofit organizations are great on charity. But we're not good on the justice part. We kind of say, "Look, that's the political thing. We don't want to cross over that, right. that that line." And that's where we're finding now that we have to do that. Otherwise, we're just putting band aids on the wall. Yeah, one of the things that infuriates me the most is that, uh, and I and I just said it, but I want to expand on it a little bit, um, is the fact that each city and town doesn't have something for the homeless, no matter how many how much taxes you've paid, no matter what. And, and people want to look the other way. Um, how do you get through that stigma when you're dealing with the different town governments, when you're diff- dealing with the county governments or different politicians? Uh, I know, Carrie, you deal with it in Lawrence all the time. You get the mayor of Lawrence just doesn't think that the homeless should be... You, you just don't provide any services for them. They'll all go away. You know, move them, move them off the corner and away from the garage so nobody sees them and maybe they don't, won't exist. How do you deal with that? I think if what we've been able to do kind of slowly, and part of it was over my 30 years in Salem and wanting to be, um, the Lutheran Church is very small in all of New England, even smaller in New Hampshire. So you don't grow by Lutherans coming in. Right. Um, Carrie became a member, not because she was a Lutheran, but because of what we did in outreach to the community, whether it was through, not with her, but whether it's through a food pantry, other things we did, or just being known in the community that we do some very, very good pastoral counseling in times of, of crisis. So we were able to do that. We were also able to... Um, f- to create an atmosphere at the church that politicians felt welcome. Uh, we, have, we have a number of New Hampshire legislatures that are connect, either are connected or have been connected with the church. So not necessarily every Sunday because they weren't necessarily there every Sunday, but they're hearing me and they're hearing what the lessons that, that all religions kind of talk about. And so then they have to balance and they're finding, you know, I'm getting something um, from my religion, and I need to give. I need to give back. Right. So we've been able to make those connections on a state level, and whether it's in direct funding, which it's not a lot of, but more in connecting. Um, so through my daughter and through one of our, our members who was a senator, we were able to get an audience with the, um, the head of um, New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services, which led to a contract that we had with TANF. Right. <clears throat> and so I think, especially in the New Hampshire area, one of the things is that personal approach and the combination of um, government, private, business, uh, individuals, coming together to work work on something and that's what's i think helped make us as successful i mean we're not great we're, n- we're nothing like new horizons anything like that we're very very small small budget but we've but been able you, to make that right. kind of an impact because what what you've done what carries in the lift take a very quick break it, it's the one-on-one that i've noticed if you if you have blankets to donate don't don't give them to an organization if you have food to donate don't give them to an organization give them directly to a person who's hungry give it directly to a person who's cold 
And I think what you and House of Mercy, uh, the, the two of you have done with, uh, I'm sure, with a lot of help from guys, people like Roger Farah and, and others who, who we don't have all, all, to, uh, all to name, is, is that commitment to dealing with each individual person as they walk in the door and treat them, their, their specific individual needs. You know, Mike Goldman always says, sit down and talk to them. Find out what it is that they need. Maybe they don't need a place to sleep. Maybe they've got a couch to, to sleep on. You know, maybe they need job training. Maybe they need something else. And it's yeah. through talking to them that you find out, you know, that they're real people. And you don't, your eyes just don't go by them when you see them on the corner anymore. Do we have to take a break, did you say? Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, I just wanted wrap to. Wrap us up in the break. Yeah, so one thing, you're exactly right about the one-on-one. It's It's really, really imperative that someone invest in these people enough and care to hear their story and to give them that hope. Now, you know, you, we talked about how it is working with government and everything with New Hampshire. I'm not really politically charged driven. I probably don't pay enough attention to politics. So when it comes to what I do in Lawrence, this is what I'm going to tell you. The group that I work with, the individual people that I've built like a network with, and that all of us spend the time with these individuals is amazing. And I have to tell you, like Sharon, whom I met through TMF, Sam from TMF, Michael Gorman, Kelly and Debo, um, you know, there's Sue from Blanket Me. There are so many times that like we literally will get these calls about someone's at McDonald's saying that they can't do it anymore and they want to end their life. What should we do? Mm -hmm. And literally we get together and like, you know, a couple times a week, I'm texting Kelly going, can you help me with jobs this week? I'm one person. She's one person. Sue's one person. All of us are single people. But when we work together, Sharon's helping me drive people to detox. I mean, we make up these detox bags, five pairs of clothes. When you send an individual who's filthy because they've been on the street, they have zero hope, nobody to call. They're in tears. It's the worst day of their life. We have the detox closet at the House of Mercy. I literally have all new clothes back there. We make them a backpack. We send them with everything they need, clean underwear, soap, things they haven't had. And in my opinion, that's the ability to have a fresh start. It's like, do your best. We're doing our best for you. You know, and that group of people that work so closely together with me, that's how it gets done. All right, we have to take a quick break here on the Paying Attention Podcast. Hiya, top two guys, smoke shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe today. At an ungodly 9.44 a.m. hour on a Saturday morning. I really should have just not gone to bed. I mean, going to bed at like 5 was just not a good idea. We'll be back after this. By the way, uh, we'll do it when we come back. A&M Auto Body. We got our friend Angelo over there. Angelo Memolo over there, he does great work on your car. So if you got a ding in your car, somebody hits you, you got a mechanical problem, you bring it to A&M Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. Angelo will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three- South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts. I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Lights Security needed an extra security guy to do private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what? As busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show. They sponsor the Valley Patriot. They give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm going to go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person in your short... I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. 
And so I, ha- so I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, if you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. If while I'm driving around Lawrence, I get shot and killed, make sure you get my body to Perez Funeral Home because we do business with the people who do business with us. And he's on South Broadway. With the, it's the old Scott Funeral Home. If, you were, if you're an old-time Lawrence resident, it's the old Scott Funeral Home on, on South Broadway. Perez Funeral Home at 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. Um, you can, they do crematory services. They do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, right? And uh, Mike's a, a big fan of the show. He follows us when we go live. He's an advertiser now in the print edition of the paper. And he's now sponsoring this program. Perez Funeral Home and Crematory Services, 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. We appreciate him. Franklin Veloz from Veloz Auto Group. Uh, he specializes in people that have uh, maybe bad credit, no credit. Maybe you haven't had a job for a long period of time, so you don't think that maybe you qualify for a car loan. Usually, you know, they want you to have a job for a year or more. Uh, he specializes in getting people who have bad credit or no credit or maybe spotty credit, uh, getting them into a used car. He used to work for Charlie Dare's Commonwealth Motors for a long, long time, so he knows his stuff. I think he was the credit manager over there or something. So he knows what he's doing, and, um, and he follows us live, too. I really appreciate that he does. Every time I see him pop on, I'm very excited about it. And I was there yesterday to deliver his newspaper, and he said he's already had customers come in from us talking about him on this show. So we appreciate Velo's Auto Group. Go see Franklin. He's at 17 Mass Ave. It's right at the very beginning of Mass Ave on the Lawrence North Andover line. Welcome back to the Paying Attention Podcast. I'm Tom Duggan, your host. We almost didn't have a show this week. Our good friend John Radka passed away. I'm still in shock. He ran Veterans Northeast Outreach in Haverhill. Um, he was he was actually he's the guy that actually started it. He's the guy who came up with the idea of it. Uh, he and Randy Carter have been working um, uh, Veterans Northeast Outreach for homeless veterans. And it's one of the things when I'm out doing. Um, outreach with the homeless, if I find out that there's somebody who is a veteran, the first thing I do, like before I walk away from them, is I call Randy and I say, hey, can you get John or can you get somebody to come down here? I've got a guy who's a veteran. And of course, they have to vet you, make sure that you actually are a veteran. Uh, But if we find a veteran on the streets of Lawrence, they can put him in a unit like that night. We've done that. Right. That's right. We we have. So, um, so to, to lose John Radka, it, it's, uh, it was a big shock, at least to my network, to my, to my friends and family. Um, so we, we didn't have a show on Thursday, but uh, we figured we'd bounce it to Saturday morning. I don't know whose idea that was, Ed. It was not my idea. <laughs> so, it wasn't mine. Yeah. I mean, uh, who came up with the idea of 9 a.m. on a Sunday, on a Saturday? I, I'm not sure, Tom. Who's alive at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning besides <laughs> like those of us who have to be here? Uh, I would. What I would recommend is check the live viewers and see how this did. Versus yeah, no, I had five. Pe- I had five people the last seven people the last I looked. Uh, but the good thing about the podcast is that even when it's over, people share it. They see it in their timeline. So over the next day or two, we'll get a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people. Uh, welcome back to the Paying Attention Podcast. I also want to mention Ace Solar. 
in North Andover. They're in advertising with the Valley Patriot. They're coming on board with the show. We appreciate that. There's going to be a great story about Ace Solar and the solar industry locally here uh, in the next Valley Patriot. And I also want to mention attorney Paul Lambert, who's always very good to us, gives us money for the bash. We're going to talk about the bash on the, on the next show. Um, Coming back to uh, my guests, I have got Carrie Weiland from House of Mercy uh, and Dan Janicek. Yesenka. Yesenka, I'm sorry. Um, usually I have it in front of me and I, I, I navigated away from the page. I apologize. Uh, from Isaiah 58. We, we don't have a lot of time. We've got maybe about 15, 20 minutes left. Um, and we have to go off on time, right? Because yeah, we've got another show. Okay. Um, can you talk about some of the individual cases that you've had um, and, and how you guys have been able to help? these individuals in a way that wouldn't be able to help them if not for House of Mercy and Isaiah? There's one case that Carrie has been doing a lot of um, casework on and has been able to pull a number of people together, but it's really kind of a sad thing um, because she was able to get a business. It's a, uh, uh, a mom that's on TANF. Um, looking for an apartment, has got her life through working with TANF pretty much back together again, um, has secured a good job. Uh, so everything should be going positive for her right now. Um, Carrie was able to get a business to right around the Christmas time to donate first month's rent and security for her. Uh, she was able to find a, an apartment in Manchester. Derry. Or in Derry. Unfortunately, when they did the uh, background check, it came out that when she was a teenager, um, she has a criminal record from being a, teen or a teenager. Normally, that gets expunged when you turn 18, so it shouldn't have hurt her at all. Instead, she was tried as an adult when she was. 16 or 16 years old. So that stays with her. Right. She's having the hardest time finding an apartment because of that. Yet everything else is really right in order. Great person to be able to do. We're just, we're looking for a landlord <clears throat> that will take that chance. Yeah, we'll, I didn't know, I didn't know that landlords could hold that against you when you're going to find a place to live. If you've got a criminal record, I've never even felony. thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I'm not sure that it, that it is completely legal, but when you have so few apartments that are available and six people looking for that one apartment, right. you don't have to say that's your basic reason for doing it. Right. Now, they may have told her that because it did come back to her that that was the reason she was rejected. Right. Um, but it may not be uh, as clear cut when you have that many people looking for an apartment. Um, I mean, there's almost a bidding war that goes on now with, um, with uh, apartments in decent areas. Yeah. Now, I know Carrie and I have, have worked together on, uh, on some different individuals. Um, I have to say that I have a lot of fun working with the people that you work with, uh, whether it's Lewis, whether it's Ralph, whether it's Coop. Um, you get to you get to learn their personalities, and you actually yeah you start to like them, right? You start to actually become friendly with them. Yep. Um, talk about some of the people that you've been able to help in that House of Mercy. You know, I can't express enough uh, that we shouldn't overlook Roger Farah, who who helped start House of Mercy with his own money, absolutely, without the government, without you know, without a lot of donations. Roger's an amazing person, very selfless, and puts every piece of himself into these things. I mean, as you saw at the anniversary. Um, celebration. I had one of our guests that I brought up with me and acknowledged him, Jose Cruz. Um, 
Jose was one of the individuals living at the bus station, heavily addicted to heroin and fentanyl. When he came to us for detox, and it was not his first go-around. He had been through, you know, recovery issues many times. When he came, he couldn't even stand straight up. He was very, very sick, very bad off. And Roger actually sat with him in the service, said prayers for him. They cried together, and he said, this is the time I'm going to do this, and he's done it. So um, that individual that we recognized that day, Jose, has been closely in touch with me throughout. We got him into a great program. He succeeded back with his wife. Uh, just doing amazing. And now he's actually working on coaching, calling me every couple days and saying, I found another guy that needs detox. He really wants to go. So what we're doing is we're extending now through those that we've helped. And that's a huge success story, I think. Do you have a lot of people that you've helped that come back? Yes. Um, For the longest time, I actually, I used to joke with Roger and say, we're like zero for 216 here. We're doing terrible. Our batting average is awful. But, you know, I was wrong about that because what I found was that Numbers of months later, people would call me and, I mean, they disappear in that population. Sometimes you don't see people anymore. You don't know what happened to them. So many people after four or five months got back in touch with me and said, if not for you guys and everything you did, this wouldn't have happened. I'd probably be dead right now. Instead, um, you know, there's one gentleman actually who was from Salem and I didn't even know he was from Salem originally, but he has an apartment here in Salem again. He's been clean about six and a half months now. And he said, if you hadn't you know, worked with me and given me that guidance and that hope that I could do it. Clean clothes, given me the ability to get going. You know, he couldn't have gotten his life back in line. So that's another gentleman named Jose, a different Jose. Uh, but there's so many. You you touched on Coop. Coop. Love Coop. Yeah, me too. He's one of my favorites. That poor guy. The first time I saw him, he had a uh, short sleeve shirt on. It was like two degrees below zero out. He was holding a sign next to Big and Beefy on Broadway. Yeah. Um, it said, hungry, looking for food. And I pulled up and somebody had just donated... A case of, uh, by the way, we can always use donations, especially these kinds of donations. It was the pouches of uh, sun-kissed tuna fish. Mm-hmm. So, like, they don't have to worry about, like, a can opener or anything else. Mm-hmm. So I pulled up and I opened the back and I said, are you hungry? He said, I'm starving. And I opened up the back and there was all the tuna fish. And his eyes lit up like you would have thought it was Christmas morning. And he's, like, like been my best friend ever since. Yeah. He's awesome. Well, he's back home in Nashua now. So you had mentioned before about when people come like specifically from Salem. Salem and Lawrence being really close in vicinity, they can walk back and forth, I mean, realistically. But we, we're we finding a lot of people from Manchester and from Nashua, and we are helping them to try to get back to their families to rekindle, to try to get into treatment. Because really, if it is a matter of addiction, the first thing they need to do is get well before right. they can really rebuild. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that I'm working with now that aren't struggling from addiction, but they have mental illness um, there's one gentleman, you probably know him from the bus station. Um, he actually was beaten a number of years ago and he has permanent brain damage. So that's a sad case when you look at things like that, because he's lost in the system and where does he go? Right. You know, I can't put him in a rehab cause he's not addicted to anything. Yeah. Um, there, you know, again, it's all about that individual, individual, I can't say it, individual work. <laughs> <laughs> too early. Um, But working with these people one-on-one and trying to figure out what we can do to help them is really important. We've had a lot of success. We've had a lot of people that have done well. I don't know, you know, the percentages on people that have actually recovered. It's usually not the first time. I usually send them multiple times and people look at me and they go, how do you have all this patience? Like, don't you want to just wring their necks when they come back the third time and go, I messed up again. I'm like, well, I want them to get better. So we just do our best to find the way to support them. I want them to succeed the first time. Of course. I, I go into this um, with the expectation of having zero zero percent success, 
And if one or two people that I help actually get themselves back on their feet, mm-hmm. I consider it a bonus. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I just wanted to take real quick uh, issue with something you said earlier when you said nobody wants to live like this. I think there are some people who do. I think there are some people who they're just they've been addicted so long and they don't know anything else that when you try to help them, they either feel like they don't deserve it or they just don't want it. Yeah. Um, and and that's tough because you see a lot more of them than the people that do want help because the people who do want help, they're embarrassed to be holding a sign. They're embarrassed to be out there. So I think we see those people more, at the lay people who are just driving by, than the people who actually do want the help and, and, are, and are helpable, for lack of a better word. Yeah, we could debate that all the time. I mean, you're absolutely right. Some people at this point don't want help, but it's really because they've given up and they've just kind of conceded that that's what there is for them. Um, but there's a couple that I'm working with to try to get them housing. And when I first approached them and said, you know, could you guys get jobs? Could you hold jobs? You know, what if I could work with you on housing? And I just approached them one day. I know them. I see them every day. And I just threw that out there. And, um, he said, yeah, but we can't get a place. We have an eviction. We have terrible credit. You know, why should we clean up? Right. And, uh, and it kind of was a back and forth. I said, well, if I could work with you on housing, could you get jobs and keep them? And he said, well, could you work with us on housing? And I said, <laughs> Could you get a job? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the story there is that within four days of having that conversation, that gentleman got a job at Chipotle on 114, and he's been working there consistently ever since. And he's so proud. He comes in, he shows me his pay stubs. And, you know, it's a process, but I'm a person of my word, so I'm working with him to find out a solution for housing. I mean, like, if, if he can work and if he can have that hope, I don't see there's got to be an answer. Isn't the hardest part getting people back integrated into society. Once someone becomes homeless, like you said, their credit is gone. They probably owe on their last Everything. electric bill Everything. and their last phone bill. And so for them to get to get back into the game, to get back on the grid, so to speak, mm-hmm. is so difficult because mm-hmm. they know those walls are already there. They don't even want to try. Right. Like it's it takes- so insurmountable. Well, I think what you were saying about asking the question about religion, why do those work? I think part of that is because they'll completely surround the person. And so it, you're not, it's not a case, okay, once a week come in for an hour and we're going to change your life. It's, it's almost like the um, uh, AA model. And I've often used that talking to my congregation. We should be as good as an AA group is. You know, if you're a Lutheran in Ohio and you break down and you call another Lutheran, <clears throat> call a Lutheran church, what's the percent that they're going to help you out? If you're an AA and you call an AA member in Ohio, there's going to be someone there in a half hour to right. talk you out of taking that, taking that drink. Right. <clears throat> and so when you use that kind of a model, I think you can, and a lot of churches are doing that more now. Um, one of the things with volunteers is getting them, like you were saying, don't expect Mm-hmm. The change, yeah. you know, take it as... as yeah, you can't be disappointed as, when you help somebody and you exactly. fail because most of the people you help are going to fail at least the first few times. And, and a number of them don't believe in themselves. So as soon as they get near being able to succeed, they will sabotage it because at least they have some They don't some feel control. like they deserve it. Well, right? the, yeah, they don't feel like they deserve it, but they don't want to feel good and then get the, 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 um, the stool pulled out, pulled yeah. out from underneath them. Yeah. Um, so they get to that, you know, get to that point and go, I'd rather live with my terrible life than try and then fail. Right. And so that's where the people coming back in and helping each day. We've got about 30 seconds left. Can each of you tell people how they can help, how they can donate, whether it's money, whether it's items, how they can get in touch with you guys each? 
Um, I'm on Facebook. My cell phone number is on Facebook as well. Uh, whether interested in supporting Isaiah 58 or House of Mercy, anyone can reach out to me. We always need donations. I just put a list up. Please like the House of Mercy Facebook page as well as the Isaiah I'll 58. I'll post that too. Yep. Um, always donations are needed. People are needed. We need more volunteers. Great. Yeah, I would say the, the volunteer is the same thing. We Isaiah 58 nh.com is our um, is our website and so people can go there and there's a link for 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 donating excellent uh, thank you for having us Th- thank you for coming on thank you uh, uh, the voice of purgatory Ed uh, Sullivan <laughs> for being here at the ungodly hour of 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning I also want to thank Carrie Clark Wyland from House of Mercy Dave Yes, Yasenka, I got Correct. it right, from Isaiah 58. Look up what these people do. They are making a huge difference in the, commu- difference in the community. Melvin Taylor says go home, so go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.